心。Praise the Lord. Hmm. Everything is about God's Spirit moving. Every song, every focus, it's about the Spirit of the Lord wanting to saturate. God wants to saturate you. He doesn't just want to touch you. God is never about just touch. He's about transformation. Everywhere Jesus showed up, he changed something. Everywhere. The person either got better or worse. Nobody left the same. Did you realize you cannot come to the house of God and leave that house where the Spirit of the Lord is the same? That is biblically, theologically impossible. You will leave better or you will leave worse. That depends on your choice. It's in the scripture. The rich young ruler came running to Jesus. Why did he leave sorrowful? Because of the decision he made. When Jesus said, sell all, give to the poor, and you'll culminate to what you're asking me about. So the man went away sorrowful. He left worse than what he came. That wasn't Jesus' fault. That was his fault. You're looking Baptist tonight. <laughs> Hope you get a little Pentecostal on me. <laughs> you are Baptist, don't get offended, just get the Holy Ghost. And you'll become a Baptocostal. Praise the Lord. <laughs> See, I'll get you to respond one way or another. <laughs> Every kingdom divided against itself, is brought to desolation. In the 12th chapter of Matthew, the Pharisees, you know you're a Pharisee when you always want to debate. <laughs> so if you want to know if you're a Pharisee or if you're on Jesus' side, just listen to your conversation. If you always have to prove you're right, you're probably more Pharisee than you are Pentecostal. <laughs> but he's trying to give them an understanding. You know, this, these two nights were supposed to be on spiritual warfare, but quite frankly, if you don't get what these two nights about are, you'll never get into spiritual warfare. Because you got to get the foundation of understanding how God's divine world works before you ever engage in his divine world. And there's an there's a, a interesting dialogue taking place here in this thing. And this conversation is because the Pharisees are telling him he has a devil. They're telling Jesus, you've got a devil. I know some churches that say that about Pentecostal churches. <laughs> it's like the guy that tried to teach seven weeks on why you don't need the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues. In a denominal church, he took seven weeks. I thought, wow, the first miracle was that he came up with seven messages that would teach and try to convince people you didn't need the Holy Ghost speaking with other tongues. You absolutely need the Holy Ghost speaking with other tongues, especially if you're going to do warfare. 
Why? Because I can speak in tongues for five minutes and accomplish more through God in five minutes than you can do speaking in English in a lifetime. You get in the spirit. You let God take control of your tongue. You could speak to the north, to the south, to the east, to the west in five minutes, and God could clear out more junk that you could possibly move out with 10 U-Hauls. Getting the Holy Ghost is not just to secure your salvation. That's the initial. But that's not, that's not the resource of what it entails. Once you tap into God's dialogue, God speaks without walls. You start speaking in tongues. You, I've had so many experiences in tongues where sometimes I understood a few things that came out of that, and I thought, wow, this is just the tip of the iceberg, what I'm understanding that happens when the Spirit speaks. I've spoken in Chinese. I've spoken in French Creole. I've spoken in God knows what else. <laughs> but those two, the reason I know them is because the other person understood me. I was speaking in, in West African dialect in French Creole, and a young man that was a missionary son understood me. And when I got done praying, he said, do you know what you were saying? I said, no, I was talking in tongues. He said, I know what you were saying. Then my eyes got big. I said, what? He said, man, do you realize what you were commanding? I said, no, that's why I don't really think that we ought to command until we get in the spirit. Why? Because when you get in the spirit, you'll start asking for God's stuff instead of your stuff. When you're not in the spirit, you'll ask for your stuff and hope God shows up. So it's important to get in the spirit. Why? It's a place that I'm going to talk to you about called aquifers or saturation, if you want to use another word. But if you get to the point of saturation, that's where the spirit starts moving. That's where the spirit starts speaking. And that's where the spirit starts commanding. So I looked at this missionary son and he said, bro, you literally begin to turn in circles and point your finger. I said, I remember that. He said, you were commanding angels to draw their swords and you were speaking in the language I grew up listening to without an accent. My God. I said, serious? He said, yep, it was you. You were just like a native talking. And I thought, now, God, that's pretty interesting because I wouldn't have known to think of that, to say that, but you understanding the moment, the future, everything around it, everything that's tied to it, understood that that needed to take place. So you brought me into the spirit so I could flow where you're at and speak those things kingdom volume-wise to move things I can't move, to touch things I can't touch, to see things I can't see. You understand that? Say amen. Okay. Good. <laughs> so I began to take this journey of what actually happens to you when, when you got the Holy Ghost last night, you stepped into a world beyond your comprehension. You see, now when you feel stress, Instead of asking God to take the stress away, all you have to do is sit down in a chair and begin to worship God till you're talking in tongues. 
because God knows how to say it better than you can and faster than you could possibly, amen, chemically remove it, God in the spirit will push that stress away. And by the time you're, that's why you felt so good when you got in the spirit. Why? Because while you were in the spirit, God said, I'll take care of that. 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 You know why somebody wouldn't want the spirit of the Lord makes no sense. Makes nonsense. It's nonsense for you to say, I don't need to talk in tongues. You're out of your mind. You're on the verge of being mentally retarded. Be careful. Why? Because it's the greatest access we've been given. Can you imagine God? Think about this for a second. He that cometh to God must what? Must believe also, it says, and know that he is, right? So the first requirement to approaching God is that we must believe. Guess what it doesn't say? Must trust. You know why? Because most people that come to God have lost pretty much all their trust. They've been bruised. They've been battered. They've been divorced. They've been abused. I was molested as an eight-year-old boy in the church house, or at the church house, excuse me, by the pastor's son. Okay? So I ought to hate church. But I don't. Why? Because God, what the devil took that he thought he would destroy me with, God said, watch what I'm going to do when I fill you with my spirit. I'm going to fill you with my spirit. I'm going to heal you. I'm going to restore you. I'm going to reconcile you. I'm going to make you a preacher in the house of the Lord. See, don't ever give up on a move of the spirit. Somebody else may have a bigger congregation of people. That doesn't mean they have a church. Don't ever confuse numbers with the will of God. (laughs) Just because somebody has a crowd of 30,000 doesn't mean God showed up. It just means 30,000 showed up. (laughs) I know a cat like that. I used to youth pastor in the same city, and I went to high school with his wife. And every week he speaks a nice little positive affirmation on TV to 30,000 people somewhere in Texas. And I went to high school with his bratty wife who now is a brat with money. And I'm just telling you because I lived there and watched it. His dad actually believed in baptism in Jesus' name and the baptism of the Holy Ghost. But because of his fear and a place I'm going to call dry place. Everybody say dry place. One of the most attractive places for the devil is a dry place. One of the most attractive places for heaven is a saturated place. If you want to do spiritual warfare, don't ever be dry. Spiritual warfare isn't about what you conquer. It's about what you access. Capture that. Spiritual warfare is not about what you conquer. It's about what you access. Proof? Matthew chapter 10. He sent the disciples out two by two. They came back rejoicing over what concept? Wow, the devils are subject unto us. He said, oh, no, 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 you missed the point. You're excited over what you conquered. 
He said, what I'm trying to get you excited about is what you access. He said, be excited that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Besided, be excited about heavenly stuff. Be excited about kingdom stuff. Be excited about what's from above, not from the earth. Why? I don't want your focus to be on what you conquered. The conquering is the byproduct of accessing. He said, I want your focus to be on what you accessed. Because if you learn how to access my kingdom, if you learn how to access my spirit, if you learn how to access the flow, there's going to be plenty of resource the rest of your life. Doesn't everybody want to know how to get resources? Oh, don't look at me like that. It's the reason you go to college. See, that's the reason you try to get the best job. That's the reason you try to get upgrades. That's the reason you try to get two for one, even if it's a cheap restaurant. Why? Volume. Watch what he says here when he's describing. He said, I'm going to tell you something. That Satan can't cast out Satan. That'll divide the kingdom. If I buy Belzebub, in other words, if I were what you say I am, um, cast out devils, and who do your children cast them out by? <laughs> he said, if I, who am the power source, it just came to you in visible form, <laughs> cast it out the way you say I'm casting it out, then what do you have left? Because if you don't have me, <laughs> there's nothing left. That's what the Lord was telling him. Watch what he does. He goes on and he talks about, he says, now, let me tell you about the kingdom of God when it's come unto you. In verse number 29 of Matthew chapter 12, he said, How can one enter into a strong man's house, spoil his goods, except he first bind the strong man? Then he will spoil his house, he that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. So this is actually about gathering. This is about souls. This is about kingdom. This is about what God's going to allow us to partake in. It's not about what you conquered. It's about what you accessed. <laughs> Why? Because if it's only about what you conquer, then you'll miss what's accessible. You know, and I don't have time to explain this, but if you just make a note right now about Isaiah chapter 9, and, and there's three dimensions of joy that come, and that's the first one's when the light has come, that great light of revelation. That's when we got into the church. That's when you get repent and baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of sins. You get the gift of the Holy Ghost. If you hadn't done that, don't even try to warfare, okay? That's like trying to go to battle without armor. All right. So if you don't have the Holy Ghost, don't engage in spiritual warfare. Just just start, amen, working your way towards getting baptized in Jesus' name and getting filled with the Holy Ghost because you got to have the blood covering and you got to have a sword in your mouth, which is the Spirit of God. Okay? So, please. It's like a lady came up to me one time in a church service years ago. She said, I need you to explain something. I said, okay, I'll try. She said, I have problems. So, well, I'm not sure I can explain that, but I'll try. I didn't say anything. I just listened. I was waiting for the, that pull cord <laughs> where either I could drop out of the bottom <laughs> 
or she could. Because <laughs> uh, she seemed very upset. And I thought, man, I really don't like this setup. And she said, I've got a problem at the house. I said, well, what's the problem? She said, my windows open and close by themselves. I, thought, I don't think she's talking about automatic shutters. I don't think so, bro. I think she's got some bigger problems going on here. And I said, what do you mean they open and close by the Well, I'll be, I'll be reading my Bible, and something comes by and takes the Bible out of my hand and throws it on the ground, and my windows start opening and closing. I thought, yeah, we got problems. I said, I, I just wonder. I have a question for you. I said, do you have the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues? She said, now, don't start that stuff. I said, hmm, Okay. I said, well, then I have another question for you. I said, have you been baptized in Jesus' name? She said, I said, don't start that stuff. I said, woman, she said, what? I said, you are out of your mind. She said, what? I said, you're out of your mind. She said, what are you saying that for? I said, because you're asking me to teach you how to commit suicide. She said, what? No, I'm not. I said, yes, you are. You're asking me to teach you how to go into warfare, and you don't have a covering, and you don't have a sword. I said, so I refuse to talk to you because I'm not going to cause you to commit suicide. Go get the Holy Ghost. She said, I thought you might say something like that. Fine. I'm not here to appease your pity party. I'm not here to appease your pity party. I'm here to help you, lady. And if you don't want my help, please don't waste my energy. Because I'm 59 years old. And at this juncture of my life, it becomes more valuable who I talk to. In 30, you could waste my time. Not when I'm looking at 60. It's become quite valuable. Jesus is trying to hurry to a point, and I want you to notice this scripture as he describes this kingdom of God, this power of the kingdom, how it works, how the enemy's kingdom works, and he goes on and makes some more dialogue, but I want to bring you down to uh, this, this particular passage here, and he says, an evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonas, for as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonas. You know what that really is talking about? That miraculous things from God are supposed to cause people to repent. Did you know miracles are not designed as the apex or the epitome of God's answer? That miracles are actually designed to get people to repent. That's their purpose. Remember after a year he came back to, you may not know this, but after about a year or so, he came back to Capernaum and he told him at Capernaum, he said, you know what, had I done these miracles... He told him at Capernaum, had I done these miracles, where? Basically back in the Old Testament, had I done them in Syrian camps, 
had I done them in places that are described by Ezekiel equal to Lucifer and fallen Lucifer, now Satan, and makes the assessment of Chorazon or Chorazon, he says, if I'd have done these miracles back there, they would have a long time ago repented. That's when it hit me. I thought, oh, my God, the church world that believes in miracles and believes in a move of the Spirit have made the epitome of God the actual miracle. That's actually not the exit gate. That's the entrance gate. He said miracles aren't supposed to be your focus. Miracles are your sign where to get in. Why? Because what's coming after that is going to cause people to repent. Do you know what happens when people repent? The heavens open. Check Mark chapter 1. When In Mark chapter 1, the Bible says that when Jesus was baptized of John, well, what's John's baptism? The baptism of repentance, right? So when Jesus was consumed in repentance and he came up out of the water, immediately the what? The heavens were opened. Why? Because God says, hey, if you repent, I'll saturate you. If I saturate you, you'll get access to the greatest flow of the kingdom that hell has the hardest time with. That is why. That is why Christendom has been moved away from a move of the Spirit, a move of God. Why? The devil knows if I shut down the move of the Spirit, I've shut down the waterway. Watch this. Watch what he does in this in this in this scripture right here. So he goes on and describes this, and I'm giving you nutshells here, little, little encapsulated revelations. You can go home and study them. Get the tape and, and take the sections that I'm giving you and go study them out. It's, I'm giving you a volume right here, okay? Watch what he does in verse 43. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a man, he walketh through what kind of places? There it is. Hell always looks for dry places. <laughs> Watch this. He walketh through dry places seeking what? Okay. Watch this. When you get delivered like you did last night, you know what happened to you? You lost depression. You know where it went? It went on the head of the enemy. Because watch this. He leaves and he walks through dry places seeking what? The moment you get saturated by the Holy Ghost, the devil no longer has rest. In other words, the stuff that tried to take you out is now taking him out. The stuff that was designed to destroy you is now destroying him. The stuff that was designed to try to stress you out is now stressing him out. He can't sleep during the day. He can't sleep during the night. He's got no rest. He's seeking rest. Is that what it says? Is that what it says? I said, is that what it says? It says he's seeking rest, which means he has none. So guess what happens when I wake up? I wake up looking for saturation. <laughs> Why? Because the devil's been up all night. Finally, it's his turn. Why? If you're up all night, you shouldn't be up all night unless you have to work. Please stay up. 
but you shouldn't be staying up all night because you're worried, because you're stressful, because you're depressed, because there's pressure in your life, because you got financial issues you can't answer. You shouldn't be up all night. David said, hey, I can make my bed in hell, which means I can sleep right next to the gates of hell, and I'll be able to sleep pretty good. Closest thing I know to that is a hotel with a number next to it. I'll let you figure that out. <laughs> and it dawned on me. When he gets cast out, he gets cast out because somebody got saturated. So if you do a study on chains in the Bible, there's three locations you'll find it. Essentially, one in the Old Testament, 149, Psalm 149. And then you'll find two others in the New Testament. I believe one's in Peter, one's in James. And he talks about chains belonging to hell, chains belonging to demonic forces, right? So I came to this conclusion after reading and studying about the chains, because chains come from hell. They're designed under their everlasting punishment. That's what it says in the writings. And I thought, huh, that's interesting. So when somebody is bound by chains, that means a demon is loose. Why? Because they don't belong to it. We weren't designed to walk around with chains. We weren't designed to walk around bound. We weren't designed. So when demons are loose, somebody's bound. But then I flipped that coin. I thought, wait a minute. When somebody gets delivered and somebody gets set free of chains, those chains go back to where they belong and they go back to their original owner. So I thought I'd test market it. You know, I'm a marketer. And uh, I thought everything needs a proof text. So when God gives me revelation, I don't just spout it out like I am tonight. I've, te I've tested all these scenarios before I preach them. I like to test them. It's a test market thing. Because I don't want to just say something because it sounds good. I'm not a one-liner king. We had those. And so I, I thought, huh, that's, let's check this. Let's test it out. Not because I don't believe it's God. I believe it's God, but let's see what it's for. Is it for me? Is it for the next church I'm going to preach at? Is it for a state? Is it for a nation? Is it for a world? What's it for? I always like to know that, to know where to distribute it. So I went to a church. It was actually Atlanta, Brother Daryl John's church, first revival I ever preached for him years ago. And, and it hit me. God said, tonight, I want you to do it tonight. So I took them through the three scriptures, and I preached a message about change being loosed. And I brought them into Psalms 149, amen, where the saints have this honor to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron. This honor have all his saints. So I told the saints, I said, gather at the altar. There's about 450 of them. I said, and I want you to cast off and disconnect from anything that's tried to bind you over the last several months and years and some of you a lifetime in your life. I want you to loose them because we're going to send them back to where they belong. So we did that. We had a great breakthrough. People prayed for a while. I let it go for quite a while. And then the Lord said, stop. It's time to now send the change where they belong. Everything's been disconnected that people would allow me to disconnect. God will not force you to get delivered, but he'll sure let you. So well, they got they got. I got their attention. I said, I want you to just make a physical motion like you're picking up these chains because we're about to send them back to where they belong. So I had them pick them up 
as a motion. And I said, I want you to repeat after me. And I gave him a phrase to repeat. And I said, in the name of Jesus, and I want you to throw those chains back to the enemy who sent them to you in the first place. And I want you to give the greatest shout you've ever given in your life. The place exploded in worship for quite a while. We had major breakthroughs and things happened in the spirit. People got healed. One guy fell out, had a, had a literal organ replacement in his body, went to the doctor. God had given him a brand new kidney. I mean, we had major stuff take place. It was, it was astounding. But a lady came up to me after church, and I asked Pastor about her. I said, she, she was telling me something prophetical that happened. He said, if she said it, you can take it to the bank. He said, she's faithful. She lives for God. The, whatever she says, she saw. Because I always like to check that too. <laughs> and so he said, she said to me, she said, Brother Hernandez, I was just standing over here on, the, on your uh, left side. And she said, when you told us to shout and I did what everybody else was doing, she said, I threw out a shout. And there were so many people shouting, you could hardly hear yourself shouting, she said. But then I heard a squeal. She said, I heard a screech and a squeal of somebody screaming so loud, I thought somebody was screaming in my ear. She said, I had to open my eyes to see who it was, and there was nobody there. And then I realized, this squeal isn't coming from us. This squeal is coming from somebody else that just got bound, that just got taxed, and that just got sent back to their original position. And I say all that to simply tell you that chains do not belong to us. And when you send them back where they belong, don't get so intoxicated over what you won that you don't notice what showed up in its place. I see people rejoice over spiritual warfare all the time, and they miss the major point, the resource they just got access to. <laughs> There's more in the resource than there is in the victory. Why? Because the, the resource is going to provide you multiple victories along the way. It's kind of like the victory of killing the lion, but then Samson goes back. But what he finds inside of the lion is greater than killing the lion because it keeps him alive. He finds honey. Right? Well, I can, I'm checking to see who knows their Bible. Some of you are going... He actually kills the lion, comes back through that same road, and he looks at the lion, and he finds there's honey inside there, and so that honey gives him the strength to go on. Why? Because your victory isn't your greatest asset. What you resource after your victory is going to be your greatest asset. Mm. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. So he said, one of the most dangerous places is when a man walks through dry places. Or gets dry places. Because that's what the enemy looks for. He looks for dry places seeking rest. So hell can rest when you aren't on fire for God. <laughs> hell can relax when the church stops being spiritual and stops flowing in the spirit and stops accessing the spirit and stops moving in the spirit. You cannot afford to ever have one morning, one service, and one moment where the spirit of God is not flowing in your life. You can't afford that access. 
You want your hurt to intensify? Get dry. You want your offense to intensify? Get dry. You want your complaint to intensify? Get dry. You want your mood to intensify? Get dry. You want your bad habit to intensify? Get dry. You want your family problem and your marriage problem to intensify? Get dry. I promise you, if you start having Holy Ghost moves in your devotion, in your house, in the place of your abode, hell's going to have a hard time opening or closing your shutter or your windows, much less visiting your house. You got to get the concept. This started in the spirit and it's going to finish in the spirit. Let me give you a scripture to help your brain. God is a, God is a, now that you know the answer, God is a, okay? God is a spirit. That's the first primary principle you need to learn about God. God is a spirit. So isn't it ridiculous to try to actually have a relationship with somebody whose core is spirit? Well, I, I want a Bible study. I want to understand what he means by that before I receive it. You know what you're doing? You're trying to access God from your brain to your soul. You know how God made this thing? Accessing him from your soul to your brain. When God breathed into Adam, he didn't say, what do you think? Would you like this? He's a mud ball. <laughs> he didn't say, hey, can we do three Bible studies, see if you'd like my breath? Uh-uh. He formed Adam out of the dust of the ground and what? Breathed. He said, here, let's start first. Everybody say first. Let's start first with my spirit. Problem is we're so educated in, a, in America that we put education above move. And that's a problem. God doesn't work that way. God works from the soul to the brain, not the brain to the soul. Check your Bible. Study the Word. That's exactly what it teaches. Why? Just like in Genesis, so it was in Acts. They didn't sit down and have a discussion with those 3,000 people and say, let's teach you about water baptism. And suddenly, as of a rushing, mighty wind, it filled some of the house. Filled most of the house. Filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire that sat upon some of them. <laughs> Each of them. It said, why? He said, look, if you're going to learn what I just created the church to be in the New Testament, the first thing you're going to need is the first thing they needed back in Genesis. They're going to need a move of the Spirit. Because if you remove a move of the Spirit, you don't have adequate space for God to do what he's going to do next. So God said, and suddenly, amen, from heaven there was a sound as of a rushing mighty wind that filled all the house where they were sitting. You had a move of the Spirit. That, adequate, that adequately equals to what God was trying to explain in John chapter 7 when he said something's coming. And when it comes, it won't come out of your brain. He said, out of your belly, out of your belly, one of my favorite songs. Flow, 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 
I love it. We have legal rock and roll in Pentecostal churches now. They had to kick this out when I was your age for that stuff. I, was, I did a song on one of our instrumental albums. My brother said, man, bro, you sure you want to release that? You might lose your license over that one. That sounds like Christmas music compared to the stuff I'm listening to now. <laughs> I love it. I'm like, man, close my eyes, and I start thinking, no, no, wait, wait, I'm in church, I'm in church, hallelujah, praise the Lord. I'm in church, I'm in church, praise God. <laughs> I can close my eyes because I can define what spirit it, it's of. Either way. <laughs> so I'm watching this whole divine operation take place where Jesus is trying to teach the parameters of what's essential if you're going to take territory, what's essential if you're going to take landscape in the spirit world? What's essential if you're going to be able to see your family have a complete wholeness, a complete revival? It's going to take a divine move of the spirit. There's a, there's a great book out, and I've, you know, I've read a couple books on Azusa revival that happened over 100 years ago in California and, and Kansas and Houston. It hit several places and around the United States of America. But there's one called The Children of Azusa. It, it's, 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 I, I couldn't put it down. I actually was flying on my way to Ohio on a two-leg flight, and I, I couldn't stop reading it. I, and I'm not a big reader. It takes work for me to read, so I have to choose what I'm going to read because I don't just read everything, I, but I take time to choose what I'm going to read. I was reading this book, and I couldn't put it down. I just couldn't stop reading it. It's called The Children of Azusa, and it talks about the kids' testimony of what they saw through the eyes of a child, what they saw at Azusa. You know what they did? They didn't have cell phones. They, they didn't learn how to text or play digital games. You know what they used to do? They used to play hide and seek in the glory. I thought, wow. I remember some of those days as a child. I remember growing up in atmospheres of the Holy Ghost because they wouldn't let us play games. We couldn't bring puzzles to church. We couldn't bring comic books to church. That was our day. You know, that's our, that's our digital uh, comic books, you know, that's like flashcards making the character move by 575 flashcards that make him go. <laughs> See, those of you that aren't laughing, you're too young. You, you don't even know what I'm talking about. Praise the Lord. That's actually how Disney created characters. They would, they would create slight motions, and that's how the character would move. And they'd have, like, literally hundreds of cards, and you could watch it. They'd flash them before you if you took their tour, and you could watch the animation of that character because they had made all these drawings by hand. We couldn't even bring comic books to church. Why? Because mom and dad said, we don't want you to miss a move of the spirit. We want you to learn at a young age what it is to understand movements of the spirit. Now, if somebody was demon-possessed, we saw a lot of that in the 60s. If somebody was demon-possessed, they'd take all the kids out and put them in a different room and sing nice songs and sing hallelujah songs while they cast out devils. They didn't want us in there for that part. And I'm kind of grateful, praise the Lord. I don't like watching people foam at the mouth and, blah, and all that stuff and exorcist garbage and... <laughs> 
Then I met Brother Billy Cole, BC. BC was horrific, but BC after Brother Billy Cole, amen, learning how to deal with demons was a whole lot better because you don't touch them, you just speak to them. Right, But then I began to study on this whole concept of the spirit move of God. And I want to talk to you about aquifers. There's something accessible to us like there is a normal landscape, amen, categories that exist right now underneath us. Right now underneath us, there's probably one or two, maybe more. I don't know. I didn't check in this area. But there are the system called aquifers. There's approximately 62 major aquifers that actually exist under North American landscape. What's interesting me. They have found waterways that come from Alaska that people in Texas have tapped into. See, most people would be concerned with the well. They would be satisfied with the well, like the woman at the well. She was, But that's satisfied living. That's that living of, well, I'm satisfied with this. I don't want to go any deeper. But here's the difference is that when you get a well, you get the water that came into that. But when you get an aquifer, you get the access to the constant resource of it. So I want to separate the mentality in your mind. Well, you know, I have the Holy Ghost, but I hadn't talked in tongues for a week. See, what you've done is you've learned how to live by reason of the well instead of living by reason of the aquifer. See, the aquifer always has fresh water. That water may come from way up north, and it's flowed west or east or south. It's flowed a different direction. But you're tapping into something that's not your local resource, but it's a resource that's found in the profundity. There's a scripture that goes like this that I want to talk to you about, this business of saturation, because this church, and I'm going to tell the entire East Coast, I lived in Boston for four and a half years. You cannot afford to live in this part of the country and be dry. You won't survive. You will not. There's people that have come here, tried to plant churches. Why did they not survive? Dry places. Something soaked everything up out of them and they were left with a dry place and there was nothing to not just sustain them but give them more resource than their battleground. I, I, I remember I... I I came here, backslid to Boston, and uh, and then God made a preacher out of me. That's how gracious He is. <laughs> He's so kind. He's so generous. He's so loving. Oh my God, you're so merciful. He shouldn't have chosen me. And I don't know why He chose me. And I stopped asking because He didn't. He never answered. He never will. So don't ask. He's not going to tell you. It's just love. You know. And he loves the world, God, for God so loved the, but he's not in love with the world. He's in love with you and me. You know why? Because we're baptized. You know why? Because we have covenant with God. So you try to backslide after you've made covenant with God? <laughs> Boy, are you in for a fix. Why? He's in love with you think you're just going to walk off from a God that gave his life for you and now he's in love with you and you think you're just going to walk off? <laughs> Let me help your brain. He's in love with you. The moment you got baptized and the moment you got the Holy Ghost, now he becomes a jealous God. He ain't a jealous God to somebody that's not in covenant with him. What's he to be jealous about? He has no covenant. 
There's no reason to be jealous. The moment you repent, you get baptized in Jesus' name, you get filled with the Holy Ghost, now you just made contract with God. You think you're going to turn around and say, I'll do what I want. <laughs> I ain't going to say what I tell somebody else, but you really hadn't thought this through. You are a whole lot better off just saying, okay, God, help me. I got to make it. You're going to help me make it. He's going to make sure that you make it if you just try. It's not how many times you fall down. It's how many times you get up. If you get up one more time than what you fall, you'll make it. That's not hard to figure out. You think, well, no, I'll do what I want. You know, I have plenty of time. See, what the problem is, People in the world are just dealing with a God that loves them. But people in the church that have ever been in the church are dealing with a God that's in love with them. <laughs> you know, I have a wife. And she's female. Praise the Lord. She ain't a dog. She ain't a cat. She's a female. And I met her in Boston. You know, when I wasn't in love with her, it didn't matter that other guys talked to her. I was all right with that. But I'm a Mexican. Y las cosas cambian. Cuando uno está enamorado con alguien. Things change when I fell in love with her. And we're in Louisiana. We'd been married a few years, and the guy comes up, says, "You're." He says, "You know, your wife has a, has a good shape." I said, "What do you mean by that?" He said, "No, no, no, no. It's not not what you think." I said, "Well, what am I thinking?" <laughs> he said, "I know it sounds a little odd." I said, "Yeah, it sounds real odd." I just got done preaching. <laughs> he said, "No, no, no. Let me explain it." He said, "I'm a medical doctor." I said. And why does that matter? <laughs> he said, no, no. I'm talking about the curvature of her spine because she was pregnant with charity. He said, I'm talking about the shape that she has with her spine and the baby's being formed very nice in her womb. I said, okay, now we're friends. That's it. <laughs> why? I'm in love with her. Why? She's birthing something for me. You know who we are? We're the mother. The church is the female. <laughs> and you think you're just going to walk out on God and say, ah, I'll just live this way for a few years. I'll be all right in a few years. I'll come back. <laughs> you got a dry place, and that matters to God. So I would change your mind real quick because your life isn't going to do so great so quick. It's going to be a slow journey and a long journey, and the longer you wait, the longer it gets. Well, I should have never done this. Well, too late. Kind of like joining the military. Too late. I woke up the next day. I had no hair. I thought, oh, my God. I looked at my buddy who had longer hair than me. I said, man, you are ugly. He was bald, too. He said, yeah, well, look in the mirror, Jack. You ain't looking too hot yourself. I said, man, we have messed up. He said, big time for the next several years. And they don't even love us. 
<laughs> Dry places. One of the most dangerous places in your life is to touch this and then not live in it. <laughs> dry places. He said, you don't want to be like a dry place. Let me show you something. Watch this place right here. This place under aquifers is a scripture I found in Psalms chapter 107. He said, those people that seek these saturated places, I'm going to take them to places that nobody else gets to go. Who walked on water? Come on, folks. Say it. He's the only one. Well, Jesus did, yes, but Peter, right? Watch this. Psalms 107.23. They that go down to the sea in ships that do business in great waters, these see the works of the Lord and his, everybody say wonders. Wouldn't you like a miracle that happened to your life that is so mind-boggling that you can't even begin to describe it? You know where those kind of miracles happen? They happen in deep waters. They don't ha happen with shallow people that are always, God, if you could just get food on my table, roof over my head. That's a little faith. Go through the study of little faith. There's three of them that exist or four of them that exist in the New Testament. Those little faith dimensions are actually the four cycles of life that if you want to live at that level, it actually talks about food on your table, a roof over your head, not having doubt and not having actual uh, discussion when you don't have an answer, you go to Google instead of going to God. It's about people that, that rather have a, a, a discussion with somebody and get, get a mental resolve, amen, instead of actually taking it to the altar. In other words, when you have a problem, don't try to get a resolve on the Internet, for God's sakes. When you have a problem, go to an altar. Amen. Yeah, Google's faster, but God's better. Father in heaven, a lot of people have lost their doctrinal way just because they didn't want to spend time in an altar. Why? They got dry, and now the brain is having more success than the spirit, and now they're believing their brain before they believe the spirit because they're unfamiliar with the spirit because they're not used to being there. So he said, I'm going to show these wonders in the deep. I'm going to show it in places where people have a source flowing. Now, if you look at the story of the woman at the well, you know, this woman at the well came every day to draw water for sustenance. And most people did. And the Lord asked me a question some time back. He said, why are you thirsty? Well, Lord, okay, I'll think on that. I, I don't want to answer that right away. Why am I thirsty? And then he brought the story of Jacob's well to my mind. Because the reality of Jacob's well, Abraham's well, Isaac's redig of his dad's wells proves the same point over and over and over and over that wells provide a cyclic pattern of production that brings the same result, sufficiency. God is trying to get us to multiplication. I said, God is trying to get us to multiplication, and we have learned how to exist off sufficiency. Do you know in the children's, or in the revival, the children talked about at Azusa, there came a point in that revival that there was such heavy prayer and spiritual movement that it started to reach outside the building before they went outside the building. 
it actually began to go so far that a mile away, a mile, what's a mile from here? What's a mile from here approximately? What would be about a mile away? Anybody have an idea of what would be about, what, which mall? West Farms Mall. Okay, so people come out of West Farms Mall and they fall out on the sidewalk talking in tongues. Could you imagine that in your brain right now? I mean, you're hoping that in your brain, but you probably have never imagined it. Well, a mile away from Azusa Street was a train station, and it came to the point where the saturation of the spirit got so strong that people would get off at a stop at the train station when they'd step on the platform a mile away from the meeting, which they were not going to. They would fall out on the platform talking in tongues filled with the Holy Ghost for the first time. And I thought, God, how do we get to a place like that? How does the, you can't just pray, oh God, make that happen. No, no, they had had they had, had weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and months and months and months and months and year. Amen. A whole year had passed where they had saturation every day, every day, every day, every day, every day. And it got so saturated that nobody could get close without being affected. Ha! Huh. Say, so why are you thirsty? Why are you thirsty? Lord began to probe this story, and of course the greatest question asked in the story in John chapter 4, which is the woman with the woman at the well that Jesus comes to that well, and you got to understand why you visited it. You understand it wasn't for the Samaritan that she came. You see, no miracle was ever done in the Bible in the New Testament because of the need that existed. It was a crucial, critical, pivotal point that was producing something way beyond the person, like water being turned into wine. Everybody knows that miracle, right? That was the first. That what? He might show forth his glory. It tells you very specifically there the reason for the miracle is to show forth his glory, not because a couple ran out of sight. That's not the reason for it. Your miracle is never because of your issue. Your miracle is always because he's going to get glory and it's going to cause somebody else to believe him. And it says right there very specifically that after that miracle of water to wine that the disciples believed him. That was its purpose. So every miracle has a purpose, and this one also likewise had a very specific purpose. Because if you read the story, whose well is this? Whose well is this? Now that you know the answer, whose well is this? Jacob's well, right? Okay, so this story doesn't just go to a woman that is extracting because she's had five livings and she will not get married. God's sakes, get married if you're not married. What's wrong with these people nowadays? My God in heaven, get married. Wow, was it something I said? Wow, it got stiff for a moment. What's wrong with you people? Come on, dude, step up, be a man. For God's sakes, take care of that woman, get married. Have some guts about you. Can I get a witness? Mm-hmm. Son, sheesh, don't be like the world. We're not of the world. We're not. It. We're in it, but we're not of it. Get married. Right, Malachi? Right? Get married. I'm not saying you're not. Hmm. 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 
<laughs> I just hit a chord. Covenant. You realize that's covenant? You realize that's what you're saying to God? I don't want to be in covenant. Mm. Watch what the question is. Here's a woman, five times. She's had a living. She's on her sixth one. And he doesn't bring up the point right away. Nah. Why? It's bigger than this. Watch this. Watch this right here. John chapter 4, verse 12. Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. You know what the difference is? That's a well. He's talking about an aquifer. Why? Because the one he's talking about doesn't flow from just 600 feet down in the ground. It flows from a throne room. Check Revelation chapter 22, where out of the throne there is a river that flows. He says, no, no, no. The resource I'm trying to tell you about is more than just sustenance living. It's more than a Sunday and a Wednesday or a Tuesday or a Thursday. He said, what I'm trying to tell you about, it's a resource. Lady, if you keep living this cycle, you are going to live this cycle the rest of your life. But if somehow you can make a decision to touch what just showed up at your house, it's going to produce a resource that's never going to run out and you'll never be thirsty again. Now you got to understand why he came there, not for her. It was not for her. Whose well was it? Jacob's. Right? So you got to go 1,600 years backwards to figure out why he's making the distinction, I got to get to that well. Because 1,600 years earlier, God said, let's wrestle. Let's tumble, Jacob. And God picked a wrestling match with Jacob. Everybody says Jacob wrestled with the angel. Go read your story. Read it right. It's there. There a man wrestled with Jacob, not Jacob wrestled with a man. The only reason Jacob wrestled is because once he was into it, he figured out he could negotiate a deal. Because Jacob was a master negotiator. Read his story. And so he comes to the river Jabbok for the seventh time, and now he's going to wrestle because God chooses the place, and God chooses the time, and God chooses to wrestle. And now Jacob realizes, I can't get out of this, so since I'm here, I might as well get something out of it. And he says, let me go. The angel says to him, let me go. He says, I ain't letting you go till you what? Till you bless me, right? That's what he said. I ain't letting you go till you bless me. Why? I'm like, what? Are you serious? Jacob is still trying to get blessed when God's trying to transform him. So 
He goes through the process. He allows God to take something out of him, and it changes his life because the next altar that you find is actually the greatest part of that story of all, which is Genesis 33 and 18, when he made his next altar. See, your deliverance isn't as great until your actual admittance of that deliverance starts coming out of your mouth. You can get delivered in a service, but if you never declare that yourself at your altar, that means you really don't believe God did what he did. What you have to do is when God does something in your life, you need to take that deliverance to the altar say, God, thank you. Thank you for doing that. I am now that. I'm not that. I'm now that. I'm what you said I am. I believe you, God. I receive it, God, and I put it into practice. So he gets to that altar, and the, the altar's called El Elohe, watch this, Israel, not El Elohe, Jacob. Why? He received the fact that God changed his name, and now he says, that's what I am. I'm not a Jacob, I'm an Israel. And so at that place, can you imagine the kids saying, Mom, why is he calling himself Israel? I thought Dad's name was Jacob. He said, oh, something happened to him. Something happened to him at Peniel. When he got to Peniel, God took a hold of him, and something came out of him, and he's not the Jacob that Daddy used to be. He's somebody else. God made him. He made him an Israel. He'll be an Israel from now on, children. Don't call him Jacob. You call him Israel. So 1,600 years later, the memorial outlives the man. Why? Because the memorials you make before God will always outlive you and bless the children that are coming. <laughs> That's why you got to spend your life letting God change you and making memorials because those are all going to live you. Those are going to outlive you. And they outlived him to the point that that well was still in existence. If you recall, Shechem was a city of refuge, and the city Shechem was now destroyed. At the edge of Shechem was now Jacob's well, which is a place now called Sychar. That's the place in John chapter 4 that we're talking about. So Jesus says, hey, uh-uh, we got to go by way of Sychar. They said, no, that's the, that's the long way to go. Don't, let's not go that way. I said, no, you don't understand. I was there 1,600 years ago. And we got to revisit an old location where there's a memorial. I need to stop by one more time. The woman just happened to be there. You see, people that come to church aren't getting the miracles they're going to get in this church and Brother Wilshire's church because, amen, they have a bunch of faith. The reason they're going to get miracles is because you got two couples building churches two miles apart from each other, and both of them have memorials that are going to outlive them. Huh? You ought to all clap your hands. Go ahead, let's all clap our hands. Oh, glory. Shandele borroco soto corrojota. Yalabo soto corricata la bahaya. He said, the woman, the, the, this, this whole system that's been produced was produced a lot longer. Lot many years before you ever showed up. 
You just happen to be at the right place at the right time. He said, but if you'll drink from this living water I'm talking about, you'll never thirst. Because it's a well of water, everybody say springing up. That's the thing with an aquifer. It never runs out of the springing up. A well may go dry. I, I dug a well for my parents in their home up in the mountain, and it went 650-something feet down. That is a lot of digging, people. I thought we were going to end up in China. I mean, that guy kept putting rods down and rods down, and I thought, my God. Because, you know, of course, I was counting the cost. Every rod he put down that was 25 feet long, I knew what that was going to add to the bill. And I'm like, Santo Dios. Jesus, help this thing find water. <laughs> I'm like, you find water here? Yes, I, I found some. He said, that'll last you about a week. <laughs> he said, should I keep digging? I said, keep digging. He said, now, if we come up way over there on the other end of the desert, he said, you'll know I've gone too far. <laughs> I'm like, oh, God, don't let this guy run out of rods to shove down in that dirt because it kept just drilling and drilling and drilling with a diamond tip, and it just kept going and going and going. I'm like, well, I said, how many feet are we, by the way? He said, ah, about 400. I'm like, 400? I said, and you hadn't found water? He said, yeah, I found two pockets, but they're not big enough. That'll last you man, maybe about five years, and I'll be back. I said, keep digging. He, he said, oh, here's a good one, and that one went down. You could tell by the color of what was coming up that there was water because it would change colors, the soil that was, or the dirt and the rock that was coming up would change because there was water. And, and they say, oh, but we're back on solid again. I'm like, oh, Jesus, please open up the wells. <laughs> we get 600 and uh, about 575. He said, I think this may be a big one. I said, it's, it's going to be a big one. <laughs> and so he kept going. He said, it's still water, still water. We're at 625. It's still water. I'm like, hey. I feel the Holy Ghost. <laughs> we got down to about 652 or so. He said, well, I'm starting to hit soil again. He said, but uh, this one ought to last you about 60 years. I said, I'm good. Next guy can worry about it. Why? Eventually, a well source will run out, but an aquifer never does. He said, if you get to the deep parts of my flow and you get to the deep places where I move in deep waters, wonders will be the byproduct. Wonders will be the automation. Wonders will be what's normal. Wonders will be what most other people don't see. Where did Jesus walk on water? And where did Peter walk on water? The crowd wasn't looking. They weren't there. The mass wasn't there. They weren't looking. Why? Because it was in a deep place. And Jesus said, here, let me show you what happens in deep places. Supernatural stuff that you cannot explain. Supernatural stuff that you can't put your finger on. That's what happens in deep places. Places where most people don't want to travail and don't want to travel. He said, that's where the stuff begins to happen that you cannot explain. But Peter, if you'll just come, I'm going to let you experience. You know what he let him experience? Think about it for a moment. When Jesus let Peter, and he actually let all the disciples walk, it's just Peter's the one that made the decision, right? Because he said, come. He didn't say, Peter, come. He said, come. All of them could have walked out of the boat and walked on water, but one of them did, right? So I'm thinking, okay, they walked on water. Okay, we're in a storm, right? Story indicates they're in a storm. Last time I checked, 
and you go on the Atlantic Ocean and there's a storm, it's not still. Right? I remember trying to take my wife out on a 16-foot boat in the Atlantic Ocean off Virginia. And I said, yeah, we'll go out a little bit. We went out a little bit too far. And I need to toughen up and act like a man. Act like I wasn't scared, not scared to death. <laughs> you know when I got the most scared, Brother Wilshire? When my motor came up out of the water. <laughs> and I thought, she said, is that okay? I said, eh, we probably ought to turn around. <laughs> I was scared to death, man. I thought, I am about to flip this thing. I'm going to lose me, my wife, and everything in this boat. And that boat would go, like, oh, Jesus, just get us back to the shore. And I promise I'll never do this again. I'll just get a bigger boat. <laughs> we got back, obviously. Praise the Lord. So I am convinced that in their storm, there were waves. And I'm convinced that when Jesus was walking on the water, he wasn't going. Come on, Peter. Hey, you can come down. I, I, my God has much more class than that. Okay. I got an awesome God. No, what I believe happened, exactly what happened in Genesis. The Bible says that the Spirit of the Lord moved. You know what that word moved means? Hovered. Hovered over the waters. And here comes God manifest in flesh. He says, Peter, let me show you what happens when Pentecost starts moving. When you hit Pentecost, Peter, I'm going to give you an example of what happens in the spirit. And Jesus hovered on the water. And when he said disciples come, he wasn't just asking them to come walk on water. He was asking them to come inviting them into the creative dimension that was now once again going to be loosed upon the earth when Pentecost would hit. It, it came on me like a ton of bricks. I thought, oh, God in heaven. I have been in the spirit and gone to places that the only way I could have gotten there was I hovered. I was talking in tongues and I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, he said. Paul said, I was caught up. Whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. He said, but somewhere between the beginning of my prayer and my saturation of the spirit, I began to hover. When I began to hover, I got into places I can't even, it's not lawful for me to describe unto you, but I promise you one thing. He said, said, if you'll allow yourself to step into this world, you're going to hover just like I did. Oh! If you learn how to go to deep places in God, somewhere in that journey, 
you'll detach from what your feet are having to deal with and God will put you on a different plane and you'll go God I don't even know how I made it through that trial I don't know how I made it through that sickness I don't know how I made it through that attack I don't know how I made it through that problem you know what happened you had the same experience as Peter you stepped out of a boat you said I don't know what I'm doing and I don't know how to do it but God I'm stepping where you're at in the place of saturation at that very place Peter began to hover. <laughs> Old wells will have resources to a point. But you know what a well actually is for? It aligns you. It aligns you to the aquifer. Why? Because when they go looking for water, you know, they, they have that, that witches, whatever they call it on why is it always the witches that get credit for stuff like that? Like, what's up with that? And they get those two hangers, and it still works. He brought two hangers out, I thought. Don't you have, like, a better device? It's the 21st century, man. He said, hey, it still works. He sa I said, really? He said, yeah, let me let you try it. So he did. He gave me the two hangers, and I held them like this. And they just keep your hands loose, and sure enough, I got over the source of water, and they crossed. I thought, wow, I feel the Holy Ghost, not the devil. Praise the Lord. <laughs> I thought, this is awesome. What was he doing? He was tapping the aquifer. He was finding out where the water flows. The well is simply to keep you aligned. But the source is an invitation to go deep. If you go deep enough, deep enough, deep enough. Do you realize the two wells that they strove for back in the days of the wells of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, those wells that had gotten blocked up after Abraham and now Isaac was having to strife, have strife and opposition or hatred, amen, literally to try to access stuff. They had to fight for everything they got in the first two wells. Hmm. But then they get to Rehoboth. When they get to Rehoboth, that actually means a broad place. It's a place where you don't struggle. It's a place where there's plenty of room. It's a place where multiplication hits. And you've pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed. But let me give you a prophetical word. You've hit Rehoboth. So change your approach. You've hit Rehoboth. I feel it in the Holy Ghost like I have felt it before that you have hit Rehoboth. So stop approaching it as strife or contention. Don't approach it as a battle that you're going to have to work hard for. Save your strength for the harvest. Save your strength for the resource. Save your strength for what you're going to collect. Save your strength for the spoil. Because you have hit Rehoboth. And at Rehoboth, there is not war like there was before. At Rehoboth, it is not like Gerar. At Rehoboth, it's a different place. It's a place that's a broad, broad place. It literally means the Lord hath made room. Everybody say those words. The Lord hath made room. I want you to close your eyes and say those words. The Lord hath made room. Worship God for just a makatelejo Oh, 
The Lord hath made room. You've hit a broad place. You've hit a broad place. Not the place of strife, not the place of opposition. You've hit a broad place. You've hit a broad place. Not the place of resistance, not the place of conflict. You've hit a broad place. You've hit a broad place. Stay saturated in the spirit. God needs you right now. You've hit a broad place. You've hit a broad place. You've got to stay spiritual at this juncture. You cannot afford to go carnal. You've hit a broad place. You've hit a broad place. You've got to stay plugged into the spirit. Amen. As the spirit is going to lead us. You've hit a broad place. You've hit a broad place. And out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. Open your mouth. Lift up your voice. Let the Holy Ghost begin to flow out of your innermost being. Let the Spirit of the Lord ring out. You ought to let God flow through you like a flood. You ought to let God flow through you like an aquifer. Oreco, now's not the time to stare. Now's not the time to pause. Now's the time to hover. Yeah. 
The pool is open. Dive in. Come on. The pool of the Spirit is open. Dive in. The aquifer of the Spirit is open. Dive in. Come on. Don't be reserved. Don't be reserved. Jump in. Jump into what God is doing. Dive into what God is doing. Come on, church, if you're thirsty, dive in. Come on, church, if you're thirsty, dive in. Come on, don't wait for a cue, just dive in. Just dive in. Come on, get in the spirit. Whatever the spirit of the Lord commands you to do, do it right now. Come on, there's miracle power in this place. You can be filled and restored in the power of the Holy Ghost in this place. There are miracles flowing in this room. Lay your hand on somebody you do not live with. Stand up from where you're at and reach out to somebody and pray in the Spirit because the Spirit maketh intercession. It knows what to say. It knows how to pray. It knows how to address the cells, the systems, the bones, the skins, the organs of the body. It knows how to address the white blood cells. It knows how to address the red blood cells, the endocrine system, the excretory system, the intestinal system, the central nervous system. It knows exactly how to speak over it. Amen. Even though you may have medical insight, God has spiritual insight. So pray in the Holy Ghost. That's the reason you need it because sometimes you're never going to think of it in English. You got to pray in the Spirit. You got to allow. If you don't have the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues, I want you to come to the altar so I can pray with you. I want to help you. I want to help you access the aquifer tonight.
I want you to stand to your feet. Stand to your feet if you can. Stand to your feet. Stand to your feet. I want you to step out of your chairs. Step out of your chairs. Come to the front. Come to the front. You have to understand what's moving among us right now. There is divine intervention moving. That is when God puts spines into place. This is a place where organs are replaced. This is a place, I've seen so many miracles, I could stay here for a week 24-7 if I could stay awake telling you miracle after miracle after miracle. But specifically over the last 10 weeks, most of those weeks have incorporated miracles that are just absolutely creative. It started in Chicago back in March uh, 13th, right around there. And God began to literally do things that I had pondered and asked the Lord about, and long story short, it hit. When it hit, it hasn't stopped, and it's here. It just showed up again here tonight. The first time it happened, a lady that had kidneys that were dead for seven years. She was in her 20s. They were dead. They were non-functional. They came alive. They resurrected. They began to operate perfectly. I went to another place. A woman felt a shift in her back. Her spine literally went from curved to straight or something. I don't know exactly what, but the spine came into order. She felt a shift in her back. I want you to lay hands on somebody right now because creative miracles are in this house. By the authority of the word of God. By la correco correco satalab. By the power of the name Jesus, by the anointing that is upon us as children of God, I loose divine operation because it's in the house. Let it be loosed upon the body, the mind, the soul, the spirit. Let it come into play. Let it come into being. Let it come into the systems of the body. In the name of Jesus.
Let's just lift our hands and thank God for the floodgates that opened up to us tonight. Let's just lift our voices and thank the Lord Jesus Christ. We worship you. We worship you for what has been attached to our families, to our lives, to our persons, to our churches. 
to our units. Oh, God, we thank you. Oh, Father, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, oh, Lord, our God. We thank you, oh, Father, who is truly our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, and there is no one else like you in all the earth who has spread thy heavens before us, oh, God, and opened the portals of glory unto us tonight, oh, God, we give you thanks. We give you praise and honor and glory. When the Lord asked me, why are you thirsty? I got to the end of this dialogue with God, and he said, there's no reason for you to ever, 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 ever be thirsty. I said, Lord, you're right. There have been times when I was thirsty, and I should not have been thirsty because I got satisfied with a well. And I didn't pursue an aquifer. The reason for the question was the Lord was answering the question by the statement of the aquifer. And then he showed me Revelation 22. Watch this. Let me read it for you so you have a little insight as to what I just said and what it means. It's a beautiful, beautiful word picture that God very clearly looses to us. And in Revelation, it's the last book, it's the last chapter of your Bible, and it's Revelation chapter 22, verse number 1. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it, on either side of the river, was there the tree of life. Do you realize when you get in the spirit, you get access to the tree of life, which bare 12 manner of fruits and yielded her fruit, watch this, every month. Everybody say every month. There's no place on this planet like that. There's no fertile field in Florida, California, or anywhere else, Illinois for corn. There's no fertile field anywhere in the world that produces more than two harvests a, a year. I don't know of a place that produces three. There might be. But no more than two that I know of anywhere in the world because most of the time you could get a spring harvest and a fall harvest. He said, here, there's a harvest every month. 
He said, in this place, there's fruit every month. Matter of fact, he said, I'll give you herbal life. <laughs> the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. He said, if you just resource one of the leaves off this tree by this river flow, he said, it'll heal you because it's built into its nature. And where is the most fertile soil? The closer you get to the water flow. And if you actually study it from Genesis to Revelation, where, where did he always plant man? By the things that flow. In Genesis, he put a river right by him. There were four heads that came out of the Garden of Eden or the Garden in Eden, and there were four heads that came out. It was the four rivers that flowed out. By the time you get through the scriptures, whether it be he put Israel by a land that what flowed with what? Milk and honey, he put them by what flowed. If you get to Ezekiel's house, it comes out of the house, waters that flow up to the ankles, to the knees, to the waist, waters to swim in, right? Remember that? And then he comes up in John 7, and he says, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. And then you hit Revelation, and you get to live the rest of eternity by what flows. He said, what I'm trying to tell you is don't wait till you get to heaven. I've given you access now. I've given you aquifers so you'll never have to ask the question, why am I thirsty? There's never a time when a Pentecostal, an apostolic living for God ought to be thirsty. Never. So if you're not thirsty, that means you won't go seeking for something to satisfy a thirst. The reason people go do things that they're not supposed to do is because they get thirsty. Their well dries up, and they didn't go deep enough to tap the aquifer. If you tap the aquifer and you stay tapped to the aquifer, it's going to solve a lot of issues by default. So I'll tell you what's here at this place of the throne where the river flows. He said, not just healing for the nations, but there's no more curse there. You want to get rid of your curse that you feel that you have in your life? Get by what flows. Get to this aquifer. It removes the curse. He said, the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it. And the servants shall serve him, and they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads, and there shall be no night there, and they will not need candle nor light of the sun. For God, the Lord God, giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. He says, what I gave you with my spirit, is literally a taste or the tapping source of the inheritance that you're going to get the rest of eternity. Use all of its resource. I gave it to you so you could have it all the time. Let's stand. Let's lift our hands and let's talk to Jesus and let's worship him just Worship him. God, I praise your name. I worship your name. I love you, Lord Jesus. Rest is in this river. Strength is in this river. Health is in this river. Mm.
Aquifers. 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 Tap into the aquifers. Tap into the resource. Tap into the resource. When you're talking in tongues, you're not cussing. When you're talking in tongues, you're not talking bad about your boss. When you're talking in tongues, you're not talking bad about your pastor. When you're talking in tongues, you're not talking bad about your brother or sister. Mmm. 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 You realize, according to Dr. Newberg, and am I close to Pennsylvania? I'm pretty close, huh? Dr. Newberg lives in Pennsylvania. He studied several patients that talked in tongues and found out that their frontal lobe, where your will makes most of its major decisions, most of its decisions, goes into a dormant state when you speak in tongues. In other words, it's the place where the part that gets stressed actually rests. No wonder he said this is the rest wherewith he causes the weary to rest. When you speak in tongues, you're actually resting. He says it's actually like you're speaking from a different state. It is. It's from heaven. <laughs> it's actually the release to the body for the body to actually be able to relax. Isn't that amazing? You know what Dr. Carl Peterson said? He's a brain surgeon, smart guy. Wouldn't want him doing brain surgery around me because I really don't need it, I don't think. But a brain surgeon, he did a study on people speaking in tongues. You know what he found out? That natural serotonin is released when you're speaking in tongues. Did you know that serotonin in its natural state destroys cancer cells? <laughs> I thought, oh, my God, are you serious? That when you start talking in tongues, there's two chemicals that get released in your body, and the only way they get released is when you're speaking in tongues, according to a brain surgeon, Dr. Carl Peterson. I forget what the other one was. He, he did it in his study, and I thought, wow. Can you imagine if people understood? This was his conclusion. Dr. Carl Peterson said, and I quote him, your health increases by 30 to 40% when you make a lifetime of speaking in tongues. <laughs> I thought, wow. Who wouldn't want to talk in tongues? I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to ask the Lord and give the Lord permission to let him speak through you through the night. And those of you that don't have the Holy Ghost, release your will and say, God, let me wake up talking in tongues. Let, let me talk in tongues in my sleep. And uh, let, let your spirit, I give your spirit permission to work through my organs through my blood cells, through my veins, through my nerves. I actually do this. It's an exercise I do every now and then when I get exhausted. I'll sit by the side of my bed after people like some of you have worn me out. And I said, some of you, not all of you. Some of you wore me out because you, you don't know how to take what I'm doing because you've never been there and you're like, what? what is he talking about? So I've tried to explain it to the best of my ability to help you graduate in this place, in this house, because this house has graduated and you need to graduate with the house. Amen. Does that make sense? 
And so you need to graduate with what's happened here and step up and step in and a lot to happen. So ask God, tell God you give up your will tonight and give him permission to walk through your spirit, to walk through your body, to walk through your organs, through your blood cells, and let him do what he wants tonight. When you go to sleep and you, you put your frontal lobe to rest as you go to sleep, let him get into your dreamscape. Let him get into your visionscape. Let him get into your physical body. Give him permission to do that. If you will, if you won't, that's okay. It's your choice. It's your will. But lift your hands if you will and tell the Lord, Lord, I give you permission. I'm asking you, walk through my walk through my body, walk through my spirit, walk through my organs, walk through my will. God, you choose, you do. I give you permission, Lord. When I go to sleep tonight, I loose you, God, to operate. I feel a witness of the Holy Ghost. God God is going to visit some of your houses tonight. Lord, with a special visitation. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we give you permission, Lord, to operate free will inside of my mind, free will inside of my spirit, free will inside of my organs, my blood, my cells, my bones, my body, my skin, my tissues, Lord, my eardrums, my eyes, my retina, Lord God, my channels, Lord, in my body. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I release it unto you, O God. I give you permission to do according to your will, according to your thoughts, and according to your mind, Lord Jesus. Let your will be done in earth, in me, just like it is in heaven. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray, God. We release you to do so, O God. In the name of Jesus Christ, we give you praise for it. Would you give God the greatest shout you've got? And would you clap unto the Lord? Clap your hands, all you people, and shout unto God with a voice of praise.